this is our last session and this will be my concluding uh, reflection. And as we finished yesterday, uh, one of you asked me about the story of the, the monk who, who became a woman and, and so on. And I thought I would um, uh, use these last uh, 10 minutes or so just to share with you that tale. I think it illustrates quite well what I've been talking about these last few days. Interestingly, this story concerns someone we've already met. And that was on uh, Tuesday, my first talk, when I spoke about the, um, uh, the idea of uh, uh, not getting caught up in the binaries of is and isn't, or being and non-being, and recognizing a middle way um, as not just about avoiding extremes, but basically learning how to negotiate the middle of our lives. In other words, recognizing that there are no clear-cut uh, absolutes, you know, is or isn't, good or bad, right or wrong, and so forth and so on. And the ethics that... Uh, we've been speaking about what I call an ethics of uncertainty is one that doesn't rest upon making those nice, neat, binary distinctions between, well, this is good, but that would be bad. Instead, it's about recognizing uh, the fluidity uh, of so many actions that we're called upon to consider uh, and the ambiguity very often that confronts us in moral situations. The Buddha gave this talk, which is called the, 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 the Kachana Gota Sutta, to uh, someone called Kachana. And Kachana had come from a very di distant part of India, at least in those days, a place called Ujjaini. Uh, which is the modern city of Ujjain. It's one of the oldest cities in India. It's not too far from Jaipur on the way towards uh, Bombay and that part of India. In other words, about 600 miles from where uh, the Buddha and his followers were living in the northeast. Kachana um, receives this teaching, which has come to be considered one of the core uh, teachings on um, on true vision, right view as it's usually translated. And then he goes back to his homeland. He goes back to the city of Ujjain. And the idea, as he intends, is to start a community, uh, a sangha uh, for his teacher in his homeland. Long, long way away, but still he was a monk, very respected monk. And uh, his job now was to try to uh, establish these teachings in his own country. But this was pretty unsuccessful. Um, it seems that he spent most of his time at a place called the Osprey's Haunt. In other words, a very remote hermitage up in a mountain somewhere. And um, did not manage to establish much of a community at all. It was an abject failure. 
And at a certain point, one of his uh, lay supporters, a man called Sona, approached him and said that he would like to receive ordination as a monk. But uh, it took two years for Kachana to be able to find enough monks to be able to perform the ordination ceremony, total of 10. And once he'd performed this ceremony and Sona had become a monk, the first thing Sona said would, I want to leave here. I want to go and study with the Buddha. So Kachana used this as an opportunity to ask Sona to go to the Buddha and request permission for some of the monastic rules to be relaxed in Ujjaini, uh, one of them being not to have to have so many monks in order to perform an ordination. Others were things like, could we wash more often? Probably because Ujjain was a main Brahmin center and uh, people were used to washing more often. Could we have better mats to sit on rather than these grass things? Can't we use animal skins? Things like that, rather petty rules one might think. In any case, Sona takes this uh, message to Savati, to the Buddha, and arrives there and is greeted uh, by the community and is even invited to spend the, uh, his time there sharing the kuti, the heart of the Buddha himself, which is a great honor. And he tells him the plight and he asks uh, this permission for these rules. And the Buddha says, well, first of all, um, I'd like you to recite me the Dhamma. Please, you know, give me some teachings. And what he meant was that, you know, recite something that you've memorized, something that you've been taught. But since there hadn't been any great monastic community in Ujjaini, um, Sona recited a, a set of uh, verses that probably were the teachings of Kachana himself. And this is called the Atakavaga, the chapter of AIDS. And my own sense is that um, these uh, poems in the chapter of eight are not actually of Gautama, of the Buddha, but are the teachings of his teacher, Kachana. It would make a lot more sense in terms of that story. And when we look at the chapter of eight, we can see that it's written in very much the same spirit as the teaching on uh, non-binary awareness that Kachana received from the Buddha. And I'm just going to read out a few of these um, verses so that you can get a feel of what this teaching is like. So just listen. He lets go. This is the, the sage or the wise person. He lets go of one position without taking another. He's not defined by what he knows, nor does he join a dissenting faction. He assumes no view at all. He's not lured into blind alleys of is and isn't, this world and the next for he lacks those commitments that make people ponder and seize hold of doctrines. There's no hint of contrivance in his perception of views, words, and ideas. Who can judge the priest 
who holds no views? By what standard can you measure him? He doesn't elaborate, nor does he flatter. He has not taken up any doctrines. You cannot gauge this priest by his rules. He has gone beyond with nothing to fall back on. Now that's, I think, a very pithy and maybe rather challenging text for some of us. But once again, it points to the danger of seizing onto and holding uh, views and opinions, whether they're Buddhist views and opinions or of another kind, doesn't really matter. In either case, we get locked into binaries. We get locked into fixed positions. And I feel that this perspective is then um, uh, illustrated through some uh, stories that we learn about Kachana uh, from admittedly later sources. This is a text called the Dhammapada Commentary, which is a potpourri of extra canonical and canonical fragments loosely tied to the verses of the Dhammapada. And here we come across Kachana again. And this concerns, um, this story opens with um, a young person called Soraya. And Soraya and a close male friend were driving one day in a carriage uh, to a bathing place. And on the way there, they happened to see Kachana. They happened to see him arranging his robes prior to entering the town on his daily arms round. And at the sight of Kachana's naked torso, Soraya thought, oh, that this monk might be my wife. And immediately on having that thought, Soraya was transformed into a woman. Filled with shame, she fled the scene and attached herself to a caravan heading for Taxila, which was the capital of Gandhara in the far north of India. And on reaching the city, uh, she was presented to an unmarried merchant as a prospective wife. They were married and Sareya, now with a long A at the end to indicate gender, gave birth to two sons. And since Sareya had already fathered two sons when she was a man, she thus became both a father and a mother. Now, it's biologically impossible, I looked it up, for a man uh, to be, uh, for a hermaphrodite to be both a father and a mother. It's also impossible for a man to magically change into a woman. So this story shouldn't be taken literally. But by employing the tone, the cadences, and the structure of a fable, which is what it is really, the, the narrator is then free to address taboo topics like homoeroticism and gender ambivalence that are largely ignored in Buddhist literature. And in construct, oh an incon. And in constructing this story around Kachana, the narrative, I suspect, also symbolically illustrates his philosophy. A hermaphrodite is a living example of an excluded middle. 
a person who eludes the binary categories of male and female, who you can't say is a man and you can't say is a woman. We might also interpret the sudden change from a man to a woman as Soraya uh, assuming, as it were, a kind of a camp, uh, effeminate side of their identity and, 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 and seeing and feeling themselves much more in terms of their feminine rather, nature rather than their masculine nature. And we also have a sense that this uh, shame of, of turning into a woman and the flight to Taxilla also suggests that the uncertainty, how the uncertainty and the fluidity uh, of personal identity can also be a struggle to engage with feelings of shame and guilt. So those hearing this story, hearing this fable back in those ancient times, um, would um, have enabled those who had difficulty with their sexual identity to at least feel acknowledged in this tale and perhaps to some extent understood and affirmed. Remember, when you have a literature that is purely binary and males are privileged and females are usually uh, somewhere lower down the scale, uh, there's no room really for people who don't identify with those categories to feel that they are part of the community. And again, we see this so often in our times that things are either assume that you're white or assume that you're male or assume that you're straight. And if you're not those categories, then you feel excluded. You don't feel part of the community. Now, it's impossible to know whether this tale um, actually preserves an echo of uh, real events. We can't say. But what it does show is how marginalized people like homosexuals who did not fit the normative identities of their culture could have, could have found acceptance and companionship in the single sex renunciant communities that were emerging in India at that period. And they also might have been naturally attracted to a philosophy that questioned some of these binary categories that excluded them. And it's also a philosophy, as we've mentioned, uh, that was able to value paradox, uh, fluidity, and uncertainty, which again could have been very much part of their experience. So rather than prompting a gay person to walk away, Gautama's silence, his refusal to say yes or no to questions about is or isn't, might have come not as a, a threat, but as a relief. And, so the, and also, I think another factor is that the familiar experience of social and psychological isolation could likewise have made such a person much more um, suited and much more prepared to lead a more contemplative, solitary existence. So what this points to in my understanding is that Kachana functions somehow as an outlier, a solitary, a poet. He lives far away from Gautama's community and was unable to establish much of a community of his own. So possibly he did go to Taxila. Possibly he was active in the community there. 
But of course, in the end, we cannot know. So I just thought I would share that story with you as a, a very unusual episode where um, uh, these issues are even mentioned. Uh, uh, and I think these are perhaps texts that if we were to find uh, similar uh, things, uh, could I think uh, give a much stronger sense of, of, of welcome and of openness to people who do not uh, naturally fit into the standard binaries of, uh, of our human culture. So I hope that what I've been exploring over these uh, days has been of interest to you. Um, as you know, I've written books and things. You can always read those if you want more. Uh, so I'm so happy that we did this retreat together. Thank you for your sincere practice and attention. And of course, for your comments, wonderful, appreciative comments. Ah, okay, Catherine, in our group, we, Catherine Murphy, we spoke about staying in contact to set up a group to stay in touch with this secular Dharma practice. So personally, I think, of course, we are on Zoom, which means at one level we're all together, and at one level we're all in our separate individual place, apart from the people who are together. So I think being on Zoom does not stop us, in a way, from being in community. And so uh, if people want to continue after the retreat in terms of secular dharma, in terms of this uh, Buddhist uh, this Marxist humanist Buddhist group, then please feel free to keep in contact in that way. And then also, of course, on the web page, I will put the other secular Dharma uh, community we are connected with in America and also in New Zealand. So we will kind of give this information. And so what I would, to me, uh, actually one of the great challenge of this time is not so much individual practice. And Sophie gave some great recommendation for individual practice. But I think the challenge of this time is really to cultivate community. And how do we cultivate community near us or globally? So I think this is really, really important. So what I would suggest is that in any way you can, if you can contribute to community, I think this is really of great benefit, not only to yourself, but to others. So I would really, that in a way would be my wish, that this retreat can inspire you to cultivate community. Because I think this is really one of the challenge and the benefit we can bring to the world in our time. And then somebody was asking about the retreat with Dina Shah. In August, end of August, uh, we have this retreat which is going to call Living Fearlessly or Fearless Living. And Gina is from, was born in Jamaica and then went to live in America and then was also a lawyer and she's also working in prison. But she also at the moment, uh, wonderful for the last three years, she has been uh, training a new set, one could say, of teachers. 
um, and those teachers are all from a diversity background. So we're all very happy about that. She kind of did it with Lila Wheeler and Larry Yang, and they're just going to be uh, graduating in uh, September. So Gina, uh, that retreat, what we'll do very likely is look not just at the practice individually, but look at the practice socially in terms very likely of Black Lives Matters, but also the coronavirus, and very likely looking at the feeling tone in terms of bias and different things like this, but also looking at culture and also looking, of course, at better relationship. How can we relate to each other as, a, as groups? And also, how can we live fearlessly in time of anxiety? So very likely that's this kind of thing we want to talk about, but there is a month between now and then, and we don't know what's going to happen next in the world. So nearer to the time, we really know what we're going to talk about. So to finish with, I want uh, to leave you here. And so please keep well, really, really keep well, you and your family and your friends, really keep well. And I hope that this practice helps you to bring this creative engagement, this creative awareness for the benefit of yourself and others. Goodbye. Keep well. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.